You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I am Thaddeus Preston, aka Nick Way. Follow me at Nick Way, and joining me as always is Gary Guthrie. What up, bro? Hey, man, I have a new Twitter handle I'm so excited about. At Beer for Liberty. Yeah. Give Gary some love at Beer for Liberty. Um, Because now he has joined the dark side of Twitter, the cesspool that is Twitter. I have been. You know, on top of the porn and the cancel culture (laughs) and the really just the, you know, terrible, terrible leftist propaganda. There's actually some pretty good tech news. It's actually still once, I guess, this political season gets done. And the TDS has subsided and, subsided and everybody has been inoculated against it. There are actually some pretty good people giving some pretty good commentary on things like AI, machine learning, quantum computing, and really the tech industry as a whole. So, hey, that's the positive, Gary. That's my sell on you joining Twitter finally. Thank this you. This and other podcasts are brought to you by the Make Liberty Great Again podcast network. This is our weekly talk about tech topics we're going to stay away from the elephant in the room gary (laughs) that is we are as we were as we record this it is november 2nd wonder what 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 happens in the next day or two there there, there, there's something going on tomorrow that i am um i am not going to be a part of um i am Mm. i am going to go to work like a good little drone and um come home and watch the the glow of the ambers of the embers of the burning cities in the distance. No, um, it's 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 election day tomorrow, and it's going to be. I'm kind of waiting for it to kind of subside because we have done our best, Gary and I have done our best to bring you tech topics that were kind of mm, not necessarily part of this whole. God, what would we call this? This 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 dark period where. Political disagreements have affected almost every piece of news that we've gone over since the inception of the show. I, I would I would say some particular words, but this is a family show, so this, yeah, we're trying to be very family friendly <laughs> um, and uh, trying to get you the tech topics uh, on in, in light of the fact that what is probably we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but things will go on and the thing that will definitely go on no matter who wins the presidential election and takes control of the executive branch the antitrust wars have begun so again <laughs> you remember when we did this oh uh, we've we we've talked this? about we we brought this up so many times and and it's it's almost like deja vu all over again i mean we know it I think everybody kind of knows it at this point. The bigger you get, the more of a target you are. And as soon as you hit some trigger point, the government's just going to come down on you, you know, to, to be, I don't know. To me, it's like they're trying to be some kind of 
human savior or something to, because they're going to save you from this hassle that these big companies are causing on you. And it's like, really it's Google yeah. advertising. Really? This is when, this is probably when I most become the most libertarian. And when I look at this and be like, we've tried this before called, it's called Microsoft. It's called mm -hmm. AT&T. It's called a lot of companies. Typically, these antitrust suits, when they are finally settled, typically, um, the market has already spoken and the damage to the company has been done. So the Justice Department, it's Google with an antitrust lawsuit. The suit follows a lengthy investigation into the company's dominance of the search traffic and effect on competition. Uh, this is uh, something I'm pulling out of the Wall Street Journal. It's in the show notes by Brent Kendall and Robert Copeland. The Justice Department filed a long-expected antitrust lawsuit against uh, alleging that Google uh, is using anti-competitive tactics to preserve a monopoly for its flagship search engine and related advertising business. The most aggressive U.S. legal uh, challenge to the company's dominance in the tech sector in more than two decades. Someone actually had a pretty good comment. As we, uh, I'll read the details here in a minute, but I'm going to take a side uh, note here. Someone from The Verge had a pretty good comment on this. Google has spent the last decade fighting European antitrust. And European antitrust is is, is a less, less limp than American antitrust because we mm -hmm. kind of still believe in like markets and capitalism. And they've actually had some degrees of some degree of success in Europe. So to me, these lawyers at Google or Alphabet really have already practiced, you know, practice in the minor leagues, man. They're, they're ready. Um, or at the very least, maybe they've graduated up to use a uh, football term. They've graduated up to the Premier League. They've fought and, 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 and competed uh, against a great, a great competition, i.e. a European Union that hates American companies and capitalism. And now they're kind of being relegated again to having to deal with very kind of limp attempt from the Justice Department to go after them for their monopoly. They've tried this before. Yeah. So the case uh, filed um, Tuesday, uh, yeah, I think probably October 19th, um, uh, in a federal court in D.C., alleges that Alphabet Inc., who is actually the company you're going after. We say Google, you know, in the vernacular here, but it's really Alphabet. Google falls mm -hmm. under Alphabet. Um, uh, a unit maintains its status as a gatekeeper to the Internet through an unlawful web of exclusionary and interlocking business agreements that shut out competitors. While that may be true, there's nothing illegal about that. Uh, the wait, wait, alleges, you, you, wait, they said, how can they say it's unlawful, but we don't say it's illegal? It, it, because here's the deal. The burden of proof is under the Justice Department to prove whether or not they're unlawful. I'm telling you, I, if you, if the European Union wasn't able to find any holes in their quote unquote unlawful web of exclusionary and okay, interlocking okay. business agreements. So the, the, the unlawful I, I, claim is just it, it's posturing. That's literally what it is. Okay, gotcha. There's nothing. There's nothing, there's nothing else to be said about that. Um, there might be some practices with it. So, like for instance, like the government alleges that the Google uses billions of dollars collected from advertisements on its platform to pay for mobile phone manufacturers, carriers, and browsers like Apple's, like Safari, to maintain Google as their preset default search engine, creating a self enforce uh, self reinforcing cycle of dominance. Yeah, they 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 fail to again. They pay to do that. 
Right. They pay. They yep. pay Apple to do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you want to argue it's not fair that they can afford to do so, then that's that's another argument. Um, you know, what is it? I think Firefox is Firefox still pay to have <laughs> dude. Firefox is. I mean, they're so irrelevant now. I mean, uh, unfortunately, yeah. because it's you a know, great yeah. browser and it's a great. So I mean, it's actually still a pretty good browser. It, it's Absolutely. really way better than. I mean, for privacy, it's probably the best one out there, but. Let's face it. Everyone's going to use Chrome. Everyone's going to use, I'm not going to say edge, but everyone's going to use Safari because it's predictable. It's easily accessible. You know, takes three seconds to install. Because even like, is it Microsoft's new browser based on Chromium? Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a weird, that's kind of a, that's so, waving the well, that's waving the white flag anyway. Well, it, it is, but it isn't. I mean, because there's been some weird interactions on that one. Because I, I mean, yeah, it's based on Chromium, but then I don't know. I, it, I don't know. Microsoft's still got this kind of anti-Google thing going on with that whole thing. So I, I don't know how that all works. Even I, I mean. Yeah, no one in my I, company even uses Edge. It's it's all Chrome. So yeah, I use Edge on my home computer for like if I want to segregate my Google activity from like other activity, i.e., if I want um, kind of unaltered, unalgorithmically molested search results um, via other search engines and stuff like that. But I, yeah, truth, I mean, it's not my go-to. Right, it just gets done in Chrome. Right. Period. Right. So they're going to go after them. Um, I'm I'm suspecting in time, um, Amazon will probably be next. Um, I think Facebook will come under scrutiny here going forward, particularly depending on um, the results of tomorrow. And Zuckerberg will welcome it. Yeah, he'll welcome it, right? And actually, here's here's another uh, just to kind of get on a side note here. It says so they're already building the case to beat up on Zuck. So. It's basically alleging that Facebook, because of Zuckerberg, turns a blind eye to um, Trump, pro-Trump super PACs, uh, you know, posting stuff on Facebook and kind of being able to go around the fact checking guardrails and stuff like that. We look, look, really, really, guys, really, this is the, this is the same type of uh, hysteria that they kind of kind of uh, stirred up around the Cambridge Analytica thing, which uh, remind me in a future episode to break down what ultimately came of that Cambridge Analytica kerfuffle. Uh, let's see. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? BS. Um, <laughs> Dunky. Um, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was greatly overblown. Um, there was a British um, kind of intergovernmental agency that you know, is under the parliament that basically as the final report came out, so it's like, yeah, it really didn't, Cambridge Analytica really didn't use much Facebook data. And yeah, um, the Cambridge Analytica uh, algorithm wasn't nearly as effective. And yeah, UKIP, which is the right-wing party that voted for the Leave campaign, well, they did do some preliminary work with Cambridge Analytica. It wasn't necessarily enough, and they found that in the beginning that the, R- the ads were, um, they sucked. And so... It's all this stuff they drum up. It's the same thing when they put out, you know, 
Netflix documentaries about Cambridge Analytica, Netflix documentaries about how terrible social media is. And this is just a confluence, this swirling confluence of events that is turning on big tech because they didn't like the outcome of what happened for five years, four, four years ago. And they mm-hmm. needed something to blame. And while they do have some blame in the discourse today, it's not, it's not their fault. And like, antitrust isn't going to do anything about this. It's not. By the yeah. time they do anything about this antitrust-wise, as we discussed in the pre-show, Gary, there will be companies of smaller size and of higher magnitude that are much more advanced, that are making way more money, and they will eat portions of the former giant's lunch. Google is yeah. already moving on to the next thing. I mean, search is search is search. I think going forward... It'll continue to be de facto search, but I think there are other avenues for finding information. And if they continue to do the censorship that they're doing, people are going to find other alternatives. The market will take care of this because these companies in their hubris trying to tell us what is best is going to drive people away. Yeah, Point blank. I agree. I mean, but I mean, that's coming from me. I'm, I'm still on Ask Jeeves. So I'm talking about bro. I'm using Yahoo, bro. Pipes. <laughs> hey, hush. <laughs> hush up. All right. The so <laughs> next story here, I think we'll this one here. Stop helping us. So what do I mean by this? So I was reading this article, and uh, again, man, the Wall Street Journal was really on fire. Was why social media is so good at polarizing us, according to this mathematician. Um, someone by the name of, this makes for good podcasting, um, Dr. Bale. Uh, I don't know where Dr. Bale is from, but here's what's the synopsis of what's going on. Mathematicians are teaming up with political scientists to create models of how social media divides us. And the result suggests at least one popular solution may actually make the problem worse. And you know what that actual solution is? It's hmm. where they try to curate your your rabbit hole digging in your feed by trying to put opposing views for information. So if Gary goes out and says, you know, about climate, goes to climatejustice.org or something, or does a search on YouTube about why the climate is warming and we're, when the human beings are the ultimate cause and that it's just these terrible, terrible Trump voters that are not, you know, voting against their best interests and not voting for environmental justice and stuff, they will stuff into it some, maybe some beyond Jornberg, you know, who thinks that maybe, yes, there's climate change, but maybe we don't need to impoverish the world to do so. Or, hey, Nuclear energy might be a viable alternative to help with greenhouse gas emissions. Apparently, according to their mathematical calculations, that is actually making things worse. Hmm. That is literally polarizing people more. So here's the deal. I entitled this segment, Stop Helping Us. Stop Helping Us. Right? We've we've complained about this before, Gary, where we've like, they always want to sanitize or... Uh, I don't know, curate what they, we see so we don't yeah. become polarized and we don't watch Ben Shapiro videos and then go out and like shoot up a synagogue as well, if they don't the want two us to, are ever connected. Yeah, they don't want us to formulate our own opinion. I mean, you know, we can talk about opinion versus fact, but honestly, they just, they want us to steer down a particular path that's safe, 
that doesn't create waves because those are the people, the, the people who don't create waves, the people who are safe and the people who are, um, shall we say just, um, middle of the road, non, they don't rock the boat. That's where they want us to be because they can make more money on advertising. They can make more, you know, this is, this is, this is where they want us. And, and that's, that's fine. But we, we need to realize it, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to get any information on any real studies or whatever, you subscribe to, um, science journals, or you went to the library and you actually looked this stuff up. Right. And now information is so ubiquitous that, okay, I can, I can find whatever I want in a, in a second. I think the problem is, is that most people do, do fall into kind of a confirmation bias kind of thing where they're going to look for the things that support their view and, (laughs) you you understand, I mean, that this is, this is the bigger problem than I think people, I mean, what am I trying to say here? I mean, the bigger problem is really just the availability of information and people's biases towards what they already believe, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and and we've been told for a while that maybe in order to break out filter bubbles, I remember filter bubbles. I remember filter bubbles as a study in the early days of social media, probably in 2010, 2011, and people worrying about these filter bubbles. And Mm -hmm. so what was, Posed in what we thought was an intuitive way to handle like misinformation, disinformation was more information or counter or injecting in someone's search feed, video feed, Twitter feed, whatever counterintuitive views or people with counterintuitive or with with counter views, right? Well, it would appear that that counterintuitive finding was wrong. It actually makes things worse. And I, and I, and yes, the filter bubble is a problem and being well, in the echo chamber is bad. I can, I can imagine that, you know, uh, people's innate biases towards their own conclusions, um, and plus the availability of information. If you do that as a big search provider, right. And you say, okay, well, this person's clearly going down this path. I'm going to go ahead and. I'm, I'm, I'm going to inject some, some reason into this. All you're mm-hmm. going to do is piss this person off and you're going to further cement their resolve to find that information that supports the conclusion that they've already come to. Yeah. So that's, this is what was found in a, I, I finally got the link of a Northwestern university study. Dr. Bale is what I see, but I don't know if it's him or her, she or Z, but Basically, back mm-hmm. in 2018, the study by Dr. Bell is that when you repeatedly expose people on social media to viewpoints different than their own, it just makes them dig in their heels and reinforces their viewpoint. It does. Their, it really does. And rather than swing them to the other side. Which 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 exposes a, a fundamental problem that you and I have talked about before. You know, people now have, especially with the availability of information and technology that we have, people now are so dug into their position in their trenches that we've lost an ability to really seek out 
truth. I mean, I remember back, you know, in junior college days in my uh, introduction to logic class, you know, one of the first things that you're taught is you don't know what the truth is. And you have to accept the fact that maybe you don't understand what the truth is, right? And that every interaction that you have should be towards discovering what that may be, right? Absolutely. I, I, um, I, I, know what you don't know. Humble yourself to know what you don't know. Right. And, and be either pleasantly surprised or slightly disappointed that sure. maybe something that you believed wasn't that was true or intuitively true might not have been true. Right. Like, for instance, if you if you try to mix and match and expose people to alternate points of view, just force fed as opposed to using a much more algorithmic Socratic method of asking, making them ask the questions that they're already in their head and then leading them in that general direction using, again, a Socratic method of questioning and, and, and contemplation as opposed to like, you're wrong because you're a hick and you should go to hell and burn and whatever. Oh yeah. Because you I'm, believe in what you believe. Well, um, I, I'm a like, white guy, so I'm racist, right? So yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. 100%. So every, oh, so your whole, all your study, and all your like, what you have just kind of espoused about you know logic and the you know yeah. First of all, you're privileged to have taken a course in logic in high school, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So th- this is the silliness. This is how silly it's it, it, it's it's ridiculous because people take that and then they and then they take it to their own agenda, right? And and it's like we weren't even talking about that. We were talking about discovering a universal truth. Can we agree that there is one truth? Whatever, I, you know, can we start there? And and people don't even want to start there anymore. They just want to yeah, start with it. their own agenda. Yeah, it's crazy. And it drives it's crazy. me nuts. And it basically proves the point that I've always proven, that our betters don't know any better. Mm. What, was you, what you thought was a great idea to break these filter bubbles ultimately created... Or, or at least contributed to, I won't say created, contributed to a great deal of the polarization that we have today mm-hmm. on everything, everything from from sports ball teams to video games to politics to like, like you know, the best green chili. I mean, Ford, we, we're, we're going to probably Chevy. I mean, it, it, Ford versus Chevy. Yeah, we're probably going to go to war with Colorado over green chili. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> 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 because, well, see, that's a well, war I could be part of. I could enjoy that. That's a war I'm down with. <laughs> I'm down for that. Yeah, uh, whatever. But um, no, I, I just found that very, very interesting. It's kind of one of those things where I'm just like, yeah, guys, just just stop helping us, um, please. Police police the platforms so that they are safe from you know porn or something or i don't know child porn and like death um maybe incitements to violence but i don't really think you need to put your finger on any more of the scale than you already have because guess what you've made things worse yeah but power begets power i mean and this is the problem um and i should probably i guess I was going to kind of skip over this this next story uh basically in his next area because i wanted to get to like the like the geeky stuff but one more before we get into the geeky stuff a, a, a good story that i got i got from um the verge of all places which typically goes out of their way to like upset me 
So it basically it, it's a kind it kind of dovetails back to this whole issue with the New York Post's Twitter account mm, um, and yeah. his Facebook account, the Twitter account being locked out and and not allowing the the paper's own verified Twitter account to post stories, as well as having the reach of a certain story that it published about the Hunter Biden laptop throttled on Facebook and having someone openly as part of policy from Facebook go on Twitter, ironically enough, and tell the world that they were throttling the story and, um, and holding it, holding back its reach until a fact check was conducted, which is horrible and Aurelian. Mm-hmm. Um, so the New York Post published this story, this article, based on alleged emails and photos obtained from Hunter Biden's laptop. As of this recording, most of that stuff has been pretty much verified, like forensically. Um, the salacious pictures, the slightly incriminating emails, um, the dirtiness of it all. Um, the story uh, focused on Hunter Biden's ties with the uh, Ukrainian energy company Burisma. For those of us who've gone down that rabbit hole, that's that's neither here nor there. I think ultimately the story, w- whatever side of the, uh, you fall on this story, it was the reaction to this story and what the social media platforms did to a relatively established news outlet is what was the story. And so on the verge, they, yeah. they, 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 they actually went through 15 points, some of which are, you know, uh, regurgitating certain talking points that have been kind of promulgated throughout the, the media for the last three, four years. But some of them ask some really, really good questions. One of the questions is number three here, where it says Facebook and Twitter have a troubling amount of power over online speech. Gee, you think you think michelle you think um and 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 actually it was actually pretty pretty nuanced story um you know twitter and facebook have first amendment on their side because i'm not the we should do all kinds of misdeeds to uh a section 230 of the communications decency act i think it's meaningless to be blunt um, I think it ultimately creates regulatory capture long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can go to Gab or Parler or whatever, why they still exist, why their uh, platform providers don't dis- don't uh, you know stop them from distributing their content, or, or CDN stops them from distributing their content. Um, I only say that half joking. Um, two thirty won't do anything to that. If anything, two thirty will make those platforms even harder to manage. Because we don't know the unintended consequences of changing or tweaking any of the rules. The question here is, um, I think if we go down to, um, let me see, legality isn't the only standard at play here. I, there was something down here. One of the points that I thought, yes, this is a platform power problem. Um, and this is ultimately kind of what I took away from this. It's like, oh, yeah, they're finally getting it. Because who, our hero in the FCC, was the first to bring up that problem? And actually, I still saw another stupid story in some tech press about like, no, we don't need to, we don't need antitrust on the social media platforms. We need antitrust, and we need like, uh, we need to go after the telcos again. So they're they're they're, they're blaming the ISPs again. What? Yeah, no, this story was actually still. I, I don't remember who it was. I I want to say it was. Might have been Washington Post. I don't know. They're trying to go after the platforms, the the, the uh, ISPs again. It's like the ISPs have not been an overall threat 
to the First Amendment. Clearly, they haven't. No, I mean, no. what are I mean to to even suggest that they have been is to suggest that we should use them as a tool for censorship. Um. Yeah, and and that's what it is, right? Um. Yeah, ISPs won't promise to treat traffic. Yeah, these are old stories. It was one that I found, man, and I was just like, "Are you guys really trying to resurface that old story?" And it's I'm dead, like, no, man. Guys. Quit beating the horse. Dude, the horse is dead, dude. It's, it's dead. gone. Um. Uh, so you, you uh, know, um, there's a worrying precedent. Like this reporter brought out, relying on Facebook and Twitter to save America from misinformation or propaganda entrenches the philosophy that a handful of corporations should be given nearly absolute power over the ideas people can express, both public and private. Amen. Mm-hmm. It's it's good when leftists. Yeah, that's. I, I, <laughs> right? It's just like, well, you know. Wow. And, and they're saying right here, people have tried to build alternatives. It hasn't fixed the problem. Smaller platforms like Parler and Gab exist, and they yeah, have but a you and I are talking about this. I mean, you, yeah, moderated chambers. Of you can't you can't develop a platform that competes because the 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 infrastructure won't allow it. Right, and 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 I Ugh. think this is this is kind of that problem where like they, you know, social media moderation is a band aid on widespread institutional failures. I think. What they skip here is, in this institutional failure, why they're blaming the post here for a lot of things. The institutional failure is a cultural institutional failure. Remember when Twitter would pronounce itself the free speech, free speech wing of the free speech party, blah, blah, blah. That ethos is dead. The same as Google don't be evil. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... it's I. Uh, I I found this story a lot more nuanced and insightful than I would typically get from a, a, a story from the from Vox or um, or from The Verge, owned by Vox Media. But it brought up a lot of points, and it's there's actually some of these tech reporters that are actually like, "Oh yeah, oh maybe there are institutional failures. Maybe maybe doing stuff to Section Two Thirty wouldn't help, or maybe just maybe these um, these platforms have way more power." And stuff like that. But no, they're going to beat that dead horse of the ISPs first before they go to that. Even though just, you have I, left I, and right. I, I think it's it. so amazing, you know, though, that all of this stuff, that it, it circulates, it spews, it it festers, it whatevers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The one thing that you never see, and you and I talk about this all the time, is the cultural aspect of it. Like, what is the... Yes. What, what are we internalizing as our values, right? And how are we seeing as a people these communication methods that are used you know that's the piece that to me is missing sorely yeah and uh you know we can focus all the time on how this stuff impacts everybody and i think that the people in charge the people who are making this stuff happen to manipulate i mean manipulate us or to you know steer our i call it i call it computer algorithmic persuasion whatever you can call it whatever (laughs) you want right but you know ultimately what is what is as a human being you know there are certain values and there are certain language and there are certain things that i internalize within myself to guide my behavior right and how does 
that stuff fit into this whole thing. And, and that's the piece that's missing to me, right? And I see a lot of people, again, like I was talking about earlier, who have decided they know what truth is and they know, you know, what we need to do to solve all of our woes and stuff. And they're going to seek that stuff out. What do I do, right? And, and, and I think we all need to ask that of ourselves. You know, how do, how do we look at this stuff and say, okay, how do I take it seriously? What do I need to take seriously? And what's being done to manipulate how and what I do to take this stuff seriously? You know, and, and people and don't do funny. that. And I think it's funny. Yeah, one, we have a failure of critical thinking. Two, those of us who even who know we're being manipulated and understand and have critical thinking are... We're not having, we, it seems like we like to take away agency from people, mm-hmm. right? Because, oh, we can't compete against a supercomputer on the other side of this computer screen or this phone or this gadget or this device. Um, no, it's, it's, you're right. It's like a lack of critical thinking, looking for the easy answer for what ails us when the answers are pretty, are pretty evident to me. Because I've been around this, I've seen this many, many times. Um, if you've ever, if you've never read, read Tim Wu, read Tim Wu. Wu is the master switch, man. I mean, these are how these. This is how this stuff consolidates. Information systems consolidate, particularly mm-hmm. around power centers, AE companies, and or the utilities back in the day in the form of the teleco- telcos. It happens all the time. Um, right. And yeah, you're right. You're going to have these megalomaniacs that sit up, sit here as the new priesthoods in the big tech sector. Uh, that's the you got to think, man. Like. 100,000 people who, and, let's say 130,000 people who work at Alphabet control what billions of people see in a daily, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's going to happen. That, you got to think, if me and you are, you know, of liberty mind and we understand the human psyche, and if you, if, if particularly if you have a Misesian view, you understand it like anyone, um, you know. You must be a bit of a sociopath to seek power over men. And to think that that same type of power doesn't seep into these big tech tech companies under the guise of we're saving the world or we're freeing the world's information or we're, you know, organizing the world's informations and to make it free and free and easily available, which used to be Google's mission statement. Um, they think that doesn't go to their head. It's silly. And I think these, yeah, those in the tech press need to start realizing. And, and, I, and I say it all the time, you know, you, you, to think, the fact that there's any of these thoughts out there that, that, okay, so let's take it to the extreme, right? And, and the, the, the extreme example is, oh, there's a conspiracy in government to take over everything, whatever, right? And people come back and say, no, that's silly. The people in government are here to represent us and to do what's in our best interest, blah, blah, blah. I always go back to the thought that, okay, out of, you know, the 500 people or whatever that are running the government in the United States, right? The fact that there's any conspiracy theory out there that any of them are abusing their power, that there's a new world order or whatever, putting this thing together. Okay, maybe there's not. But to think that one or two of those people don't have that thought and who are not putting that, you know, putting their efforts towards that kind of 
direction at least is silly. I like and I you think said. it's even worse because it's take the take the five hundred and thirty five members of Congress plus the executive branch. That's oh, and the justices. Don't forget, don't forget the justices and the judicial. That's thousands and thousands of people who think, if not tens of thousands. No, I'm sorry, hundreds of thousands of people who think they know better than you. Oh yeah. When you when you add so in the staff you, and, the, yeah. and the everything, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and it's funny how there's such a blind spot in a lot of people who are overeducated and go to university and write for these tech blogs and stuff like that to think that like you're going to, you're going to take away the power of these 100 120 130,000 potential sociopaths for manipulating us with algorithms, and you're going to turn it over to the 150 to 200,000 to a million other sociopaths who happen to rule you <laughs> right. because you voted for them, right? It's a power grab and it's nothing. <laughs> and, 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 oh, yeah. And the whole the, the antitrust thing's a power grab. Uh, you know, the, the, the drumbeat of big tech is evil and stuff. It's all about just gaining control of big tech. 100%. That's yep. really what it is. They, it's the new medium for. Not only talking to the people, but manipulating the people. And government mm-hmm. wants in on that. What's so, what's so hard about that? I mean, I want in on that, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I think I'm, I think I'm past that point in my life where I want to manipulate people. But I don't know. Maybe I just haven't had that taste. Yeah. The taste yet, of the man. power. I'm almost there. All right. So let's sorry. <laughs> we're, sorry we're done with all that philosophical mumbo jumbo and the fact that like now there's actually people in the tech press that are actually starting to kind of like, oh wow, like what really happened in New York Post was kind of kind of messed up, and we should probably worry about the overarching power of these platforms. Yes. So anyway, um, moving on to the uh, nerd 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 alert <laughs> portion nerd of alert. the program, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So now um, the chip wars are heating up. AMD in a $35 billion all-stock acquisition of Xilinx. So, um, for those of us who, um, who don't know, obviously AMD is a large chip manufacturer, uh, producer of, X8, of x86-type processors, kind of like Intel processors, as well as also uh, built-in GPUs. Um, they actually, their processors now have GPUs. They call them APUs now, I guess, around. Because they put like the the GPU and the CPU on the same die, and they're actually they make some pretty powerful um, chipsets and stuff. I think the was it the Ryzen um, line of their chips are actually kind of comparable in performance to maybe some of even the i8s, i7s. Um, so they're they're in the game. So they have followed suit the same as um, Nvidia, who's growing in this in this realm with their purchase of arm and then you have the fact that intel about some years back purchased another fpga manufacturer amd is getting into the game and they're building up their fpga uh, portfolio the deal involves all stock transaction leveraging AMD's sizable uh, share price uh, in order to enable the equivalent of 143 dollars per share per for xilinx so someone cashed out with their newly minted billionaires uh and millionaires uh, and so basically it's just kind of this kind of reverse cash stock thing. So the combined entity will be 135 billion 
and we'll total 13,000 engineers. And it basically uh, allows AMD to move into a huge addressable market of like 110 billion because FPGAs are going to be very important when we start building the Internet of Things, when you start building um, uh, things like special purpose data data center hardware, um, you know, machine learning chips, and all kinds of stuff. So it's this is finally the battle starting to become joined, right? These chip manufacturers are starting to understand that, like, they're big, bold, like, they're big processors, um, you know, and, and GPUs and stuff like that, which they are finding other markets for uses with those, um, with their legacy stuff. They need to move into this other realm, particularly um, IoT. Um, you're going to need small system on a chip, programmable types of devices that are going to allow you know machine learning inference, low level processing. So they they want to get into um, they just want to get into the market of and they want to kind of arm up on the portfolio of products. They want to be a full stack data center provider for you know the boxes of the future that will populate the data centers of the future um you know they bought a um another fpga manufacturer well i'm sorry yeah it was 2000 and i'm looking at the article here okay yeah so intel has bought an fpga provider um amd has of course have bought one nvidia just bought you know arm this is quite exciting in my opinion, this is this is like I don't know a new kind of arms race, chip chip race, whatever you want to call. What do you think, Gary? I've geeked out enough. <laughs> I possibilities. Actually, I mean, you 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 mentioned a lot of stuff in there, and I just I, I my brain just goes back because I'm a simpler guy, right? I I just go back to what 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 do we need? What do we really need? And, you know, obviously a, a big company is not going to do a move like this without seeing a need there or, or, or a demand there. Right. But I, 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 I'm curious as to what the, the need is that's going to be satisfied by this kind of move. It's just, I think they want to be, like I said, they want to be, they want to compete in the data center with being like, they want to be the chips that run future data centers. They want to be in the game for FPGAs, i.e. small kind of IoT devices and system on the chip devices. But how much do we need on a, on a IO? I mean, we've got stuff that's so capable already, you know, on, on, on these little devices. But I, more, I, I don't know. More is, yeah, more is going to be required and more is, and they're capable of a lot, lot more. I think, unfortunately, these guys... And, and what you do when you actually acquire FPGA companies or, or, or an arm or whatever is you, mm -hmm. you start getting into, you start moving further up the stack, i.e. they yeah. want to offer software and services. That's what they want. And if you've ever dealt with any FPGA code and stuff like that, that, that stuff is expensive to develop and expensive to design, expensive to license. And that's what this is. It's kind of the same thing with ARM. ARM knows that it's coming to the end of its rope. So they're just like, well, let's sell out. And NVIDIA is like, we really want to integrate these guys into OnDai. And so let's, and they're going to, and they're perfect when it comes to AI. Like a lot of the yeah. uh, inference 
and the uh, and the machine learning uh, algorithms that run on these accelerated AI chips or TPUs or tensor processing units and stuff are built on ARM or field programmable mm-hmm. gate arrays. And so that's what oh, it, that's I, that's really what it is. And, and you know what? A lot of these applications are going to be really. Um, the the practical implications are going to become, I think, evident. You know, I I do a lot of experimental work with uh, Google Firebase and and uh, stuff like that, and the, and the uh, availability and the speed at which this stuff does, and the accuracy at which it does its stuff is intensely amazing. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can do something in a dozen lines of code that would take engineers years back in the eighties, nineties to even dream of. Right. So no, I hear it. I I hear it. I think I, and I think it's wonderful that we're bringing this uh, capability um, to be available as it will be. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, you know, and not to, not to beat it too much, I, I, I just think that the, the battle's joined. And I think everyone, particularly with the advent of Risk-V, um, there'll probably be more players in this game. I think they're just trying to build up a, a portfolio so that the basically a, a general purpose CPU company, kind of like an AMD or an Intel, or even a GPU company like NVIDIA, don't become obsolete. Yeah. And um, they're, you know, they're, they're growing. And uh, you can tell that they, uh, particularly ARM, was kind of running, you know, running out of steam is because they, they changed their licensing and they suddenly were charging more. And so that means like, okay, market saturation. And right. also we've reached the end. Um, and so NVIDIA, it, they, they can do a lot with NVIDIA. And I think Xilinx will do a lot with AMD. And Intel will eventually find its way. I um I don't know. Um, I'm not going to write the death nail for Intel yet, but like mm-hmm. a system on a chip and IoT gets more um, more pronounced. I.e., we put we're going to put iPhone. Let's let's just let's just find an iPhone. This is the we're going to put iPhone 12 per, uh, performance on a chip in a device that's designed to order shit for me, like in right. less than a couple of years. Right. Um, we're going to have universal translators. We're going to have better self-driving cars or even better just uh, um, electronics in our vehicles, electronics in all kinds of things. We're going to have, you know, machi- some machi- we're, machine learning or inference or to the very least just fuzzy logic is going to be built into most devices going forward. And the more processing power you can bring to the edge, the more empowering it will be going forward but i just see this yeah. as kind of this a lot of big a lot of the dinosaurs looking at the asteroid come down and they're just they're just trying to gather up what they can and, and head for the caves before it's yeah. all to indebted i think that's what amd's doing and that's what intel has been trying to do for years and right. i think that's what arm needed to do for nvidia um these companies are trying to change how they support tech they uh, they're they, they're not going to be selling desktop computers like talking about it anymore they're going to be selling yeah like- i think i think the hardware play is pretty much done out i mean it hardware is hardware at this point yeah I mean, everything's in the cloud everything's logic yeah virtual you, yeah. at this point you get more and better performance 
they're still gonna need someone still needs to do the picks and shovels and that's your amds that's your xilinxes that's your arms that's your qualcomm's that's your um there's tons of chinese companies out there there's your intels and stuff and nvidia's but at the end of the day yeah you're right software is eating the world as mark Andreessen once said so right all right on to starlink beta test man beta, I we actually love have costs it. yes costs associated with this this is this is pretty this is pretty this awesome is for those so of you, good for those of you who don't know what the starlink is ladies and gentlemen it is this awesome constellation of satellites that are going to allow low earth orbit satellites to deliver very low latency um, you know they're talking right now in some of the speed tests we talked about in previous episodes of like you know they're, they're you know i've seen as high as about a uh i think it was in the 70s or 80s they're saying they're getting up to about 150 megabits that's crazy with 20, 20 milliseconds seconds that's brown trip ladies and gentlemen let's go that's back to the screen nuts. that's that's these starlink satellites here that are <laughs> 550 kilometers above the surface that's from you know for those of you who understand just a little bit about physics that's a it's a hell of a round trip time it's insane it's but it's insane that it's it can be as low as 20 milliseconds it's looking like it'll cost you a one-time fee of 500 to get your terminal and stuff like that and it's 99 dollars a month for those of you who start yelling oh that's too expensive shut up because if they can get up the constellation to if they can get the constellation to their peak performance which it's saying is going to be in the future once it gets all what forty thousand satellites in orbit, like a gigabit. That's that's a. I'm yeah, that's happy a with a. I'm happy with a hundred meg. I, Dude, give me a hundred meg. I'm done. Yes. I, I'm fine. What more do I need? I mean, a gig. I mean, shia. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I get a gig on the ground, and it's been yeah. Has, well, it, has, yeah, it, has it been? Has it been? Keep on bragging about that. I'm gonna keep bragging about it. I'm yeah. I'm gonna bring up a speech that should be a dick. No, um, no, yeah. it's it's. <laughs> it, but it's 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 kind of like, yeah, dude. Like pretty soon, like I'm gonna be like the guy on like dial up, right? I'm gonna have my ground base hard internet, which will be fast and reliable, but like it won't be mobile. Like I'll be able to go up to the Hemis Mountains right. here in or or Red River, New Mexico, and have it. It was funny. We still had pretty good internet, uh, e- even though it was you know landline based. But imagine having like a hundred megabits with like sub fifty millisecond round trip times. It's in crazy. the middle of nowhere. You know, my brother. My brother runs a uh, trailer rental business, a camper trailer rental business, and I see this as a potential boom for him to be able to offer this as a service, mount one of these dishy McFlack faces or whatever they're calling them (laughs) on each one of his trailers. Right. And he can rent a trailer out for four days for the weekend, Memorial day weekend, whatever. And okay. Add on internet at a gigabit, you know, speed Mm -hmm. for 50 bucks. He's covered his cost in two rentals, yes. and he does eight a month. I, I think it's going to be a, a godsend for rural America. I think it'll be a godsend for people. You know, we have our aging population, and a lot of people. Uh, you, you ever know? You notice during this pandemic that a lot of people bought like fifth wheels and, and like like Winnebago and stuff like that. Oh, dude, Did in my really? neighborhood, 
Oh, dude, I can barely navigate down my neighborhood. Well, I know, I know, my brother's business has been crazy renting. Yeah, no. So, like, people want to be able to move around, and yeah. if you can have like, it's already pretty good with four G LTE, and five G's coming. So we're gonna have five G. We're gonna have these satellites in orbit. We're gonna have Wi Fi everywhere. Dude, we're gonna be so connected. I mean, yeah, there's some dystopian yeah. things you can say about it, but at the end of the day, it's it's the future, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you go, you amazing. can go full, you can go full on off grid at some campground up in BFE, Kern River Valley, mm -hmm. whatever, and still be able to connect at a gigabit per second. I mean, that's insane to me. And even if you, even if we never get a gigabit per second, even if we get half of that or a third of that, that a is tenth still, of that, it's still. An amazing feat, and you Again, don't in an area that you don't even have cell coverage, right? Come, I mean, I, I put this in perspective, guys. Look, man, look. Let me let me do this real quick here. One more time. Five hundred and fifty kilometers <laughs> above the surface of the right? Earth. This is nuts. <laughs> right? This is crazy. This is this is this is a feat. This is, uh, you know, I uh, we'll have to we'll have to see long term. You know, when we get back, when when, it, when we actually get, get real world tests, and you get a lot of, of load on it, how it actually holds up. That's the is, that's going to be the real test of it. The load is going to be the test. Do we have any time frames on it? Do, have they mentioned it? Well, basically, so basically, they said so. Um, what the email reads for those it was sending out emails for kind of beta more beta testers. It says like expect to see data speeds vary from 50 megabits to 150 megabits of latency of 20 milliseconds to about 40 milliseconds over the next several months as we enhance the Starlink system. As we launch more satellites, install more ground stations and improve our networking software, data speeds, latency and uptime will improve dramatically. Um, they're hoping stage. to achieve 16 milliseconds to 19 milliseconds by the summer of 2021. Wow, um, and so I, I, I for one welcome my SpaceX overlords and their amazing satellites that bring will it. not necessarily bring Skynet, but close. So, so that's what that's on that's on a we all right we ended on a nerdy note because we're all excited about that. So I we would are get it. very I would excited. Get it. I would actually get it as a backup. I want I a Dishy McFlack face. I, I, I Dishy McFlack face as well, man. For <laughs> real, for real. I don't know. I'm just like I'm greedy like that, man. If I could find a way, like, don't they sell modems or like like routers that allow you to like load balance? So, like, if I have more than one source of data and stuff like that. So, hey, not why only, not? Right? Well, I, I'm 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 greedy, bro. I'm if greedy one goes like down, heck if one yeah, goes man. down, or even better, if I could leverage. My gigabit downlink from space, my gigabit like landline, and like my you know probably my hundred megabit to two hundred megabit like five G LTE v five G or four G LTE via T Mobile, and just like have like an aggregate I can download more files, stream more stuff, do whatever. That is yeah, until man. they throttle you for your libertarian views. That's all. Oh, and that's true. Back so, to our, our I mean, back to our original stories. They're they're coming to get us. It's it, like this, yeah, it, like, it, like, yeah, they're only out to get you until they're out to get you. And then they're mm -hmm. out to get you. Well, we'll yeah. see. I mean, I, I have hope for SpaceX. No, I, I, I do too. I'm looking forward to when they launch their Starship. Like, they're going to do a, I, he said they're going to go about 150 kilometers up? No, um, not that far. 50,000 feet. Is It's only 50,000? 50,000 feet. Yeah, it was going to be 65,000 feet, and then they, they backed oh, okay. up. Okay, so, so, okay, so I don't know what the Starship um, 
Yeah, I forgot. Uh, they, they, I don't know when they're going to actually do that. Um, I have to I go know, to my all, all my all my YouTube sites that like sit down at Boca Rachina or Boca Rachina. Was it Boca Rachina? And Boca like Raton. Rachina. Nah, yeah, no, nah, it's down in South Texas. Yeah, Boca uh, Raton. Boca, Boca Raton or Boca China, uh, whatever the hell it's called. Boca China, dude. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, I'm, trying remember, <laughs> I'm trying to remember where they're doing it. So yeah, like you're right, but but they've been there's like nonstop like webcams that are just constantly looking at them do like static tests and mm-hmm. and hops and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm looking very very forward to when they do that 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 second hop up to yeah that's that's gonna be a big move that's gonna be a big move move. because it's a big structure they're trying to put up into the air and then like i think they said they they want to land it um you know upright but they might need to belly flop it just to see if it's so basically if it survives (laughs) and and belly flop it in the water not necessarily on land it's called buca china texas buca china no that's not the name of it is it really yeah, Bucatina, Texas, is where they have their uh, is where they test Starlet uh, um, uh, uh, Raptor engines, um, the Starship. Um, that's where they did the hop test. Yeah, it's down okay. in South Texas near the Gulf Coast. It's near Brownsville, Texas. Boca Chica. Boca Chica. Not Boca Chica. Boca Chica. The hell are you talking? I don't know. Whatever, bro. <laughs> Boca Chica. Oh. Means little, it means little mouth. <laughs> it does. Well, I know, but I mean, it's funny. <laughs> it, uh, okay. Fair. Again, that's just like naming, you know, again, what do you say? Like the test that the, he lowered the price of uh, uh, Elon Musk lowered the price of Tesla's to 69420 Oh, can you believe that? That was I saw that. And I was like, God, what a what an adolescent. for a Model S. Yeah, we know what it means. Yeah, you're a kid. Yeah, we're twelve year old boys. It's like fart humor, you know. It never, it never stops getting funny. But at the same time, it's like, come on, man, you're running a billion dollar thing. (laughs) Nuts. All right. Well, I guess that. I guess that's it. We are in the uh, uh, levity part of the show. I'm done. So, Pip, yourself, sir. Beer for Liberty. I'm going to really start putting some stuff up there. I might even put a, a uh, you know, an at tag or whatever down on the at the bottom of my name going forward. Yeah. But uh, Beer for Liberty. Um, I'm really excited. I'm, I may have actually one of my brews uh, being brewed at a professional brewery here in the yes, next few weeks. So, man, that is that is hot. That I am is hot. so excited about that. And no, man, some at some point when this is all said and done, I must, I must make it out to the, what is it, the, the mecca of Orange County. And- well, you know the the place where every single person looks exactly the same and has a bazillion dollars because and pronounces what we do. and pronounces buca chica buca chica buca china <laughs> buca china because it's just easier. Kachina. <laughs> All right, and um, okay, of course, I'm uh, at Nick Way on Twitter, at Nick Way on Parlor, also uh, co-host of the ACTJ on, if, yeah, we're, we're broadcasting on the ACTJ channel right now. Thank you guys for logging in, and thank you for your servers. Again, I have been Thaddeus Preston. He 
has been my brother from another mother, Gary Guthrie. And we're out. Goodbye. Thank you.